And I'm thinking we're going to leave on the 12th and we're going to come back on the 19th. Nothing on the 12th, nothing on the 19th. It's all good. August the 15th, my anniversary lies right in between those two dates. So I have not outgrown boneheadedness yet. If you've been there more than me, longer than me, tell me when that happens. So that's me, right? Mission trip, anniversary, all at the same time. But this amazing thing happened. When I came home on Friday, I wasn't in the doghouse. She was really excited to see me back. I was really excited to see her. She didn't punish me. How do you keep a relationship going with the ups and downs of life? How do you keep a relationship going when you really blow it sometimes? I can't tell you all those secrets, but one of the secrets connects to what we're doing today. One of the key ingredients to relationship is assurance. Amy knows some things for a fact, and I know some things about Amy for a fact. Like There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever, Amy loves me. And I hope there's no doubt in her mind whatsoever, Chris loves me. And so with some basic assurances, with some basic confidence, relationship can stay and it can flourish even when there's ups, even when there's downs, and even when you miss your anniversary by being on another continent. Things can still flourish. And I think that's what First John is telling us about our relationship to God. You can have this rock-solid confidence assurance. You can know, and if you really, really know, if you really, really know, then you will live in a fellowship with God, a relationship with God that's much more stable. And so First John was written on the back of his gospel, the gospel, believe in Jesus and you'll have life. The book of First John, know, know for a fact that you have the eternal life that comes from Jesus. And so what we do to introduce books is we um, have our leadership, different parts of our leadership, read through the book together or read through the book for you. And so our first one will come on and make his way up. He's going to they're, they're going to read the chapters for us. But as, as they're reading the book of first John to us, here's some things I want you to listen for. I want you to listen for the words. No, that you may know that you may know that you may know light, righteousness and life. Right. Listen for light. Listen for not just righteousness and not just light. Listen for love as one of the key tests. And then there's two phrases I want you to listen for, and we're going to get a microphone and a stand up here for these guys. Um, The first phrase is, if we say. And so why does he say that throughout the book? Because he wants to test a certain amount of claims. He wants to test, like, okay, you say you're a believer. I don't know how these new ones work. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. All right, you say you're a believer. Let's put it to the test by your life, by your light, by your love. If we say that we have fellowship, let's put it to the test. And so there's going to be these claims made throughout the book, if we say, and it's going to be followed up with the test that proves or disproves that. And then the last thing I want you to listen for is four times in the book, John writes, I write this, that, meaning I am telling you expressly why I'm writing my book to you. And he does that four times. So listen for those things as our, as our leadership reads. And I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Wilbur now for our first chapter. Good morning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life 
which was with the Father and was made manifest us in us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may all may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is a message we have heard from him, and he proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, and he is the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleansed us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only uh, for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. I see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall be we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness sin is lawlessness you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin no one who abides in him keeps on sinning no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know that we have laid down, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God, so that we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is because as he is so also are we in this world there's no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love because he first loved us If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we may, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So, Father, teach us that your word is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb, and it is better than gold, than much fine gold. Father, teach us that to hear your voice is infinitely better than to hear any other voice. Teach us to listen to the voice of your spirit whispering, you can know, you have life, abide in you. Teach us to tune our ears to the voice of your spirit. And to tune out the voices of every other spirit. 
Teach us to test the Spirit, Father. So we may know it's yours and not another voice. And Father, as we walk through this series, I pray you would answer the wrestling questions of doubt that some have. I pray you would give us each a sense of deep abiding confidence in the life you have purchased for us in Jesus. I pray throughout this series, Father, that our joy might be complete. That a false teacher would never get our ear. That sin would increasingly become hated by us and righteousness would be our joy. That we might live in confidence knowing that we have this eternal life given by your son. We pray it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we open up the series in 1 John, I want to give you a couple of just facts and figures before we jump into the overarching parts of the book. It was written by a guy named John, yes. It's the uh, apostle disciple who also wrote the book of John. He was called the beloved disciple, not because he was prideful, but because he defined himself by the love Jesus had for him. And so it was written by him. There's really no way to know for certain when it was written, but we believe it was written after the gospel towards the end of John's life. So somewhere between 85 and 100 A.D. from the city of Ephesus is where we think it was, the time period we think it was was written. And John wrote his book for two big overarching purposes. Purpose one, so that that the people that John was writing to would be able to combat the false teachers. And so a group, not from outside, but a group from within the church had embraced wrong views about Jesus and they had become somewhat big in the church, left the church and started a, what we think, started a regional ministry with a wrong view of Jesus. And so they believed, to some degree, they believed that spirit is good, but flesh is bad. And since that's true, human Jesus and spirit Christ cannot be the same person. So they deny Jesus came in the flesh, right? They deny that Christ came in the flesh, as you heard that as you were reading. And so they were separating human Jesus from Messiah, from Christ, and they were denying the incarnation. They were denying that Jesus, God in human form, God came in the flesh. Also, along with their beliefs, is they began to minimize sin. And so, like, hey, we have no sin, They believed that if they lived however they wanted to live, they could still claim, hey, I know Jesus, I'm fine with God, but they live in sin and they live in rebellion and they live in immorality. And John just says, it's simply not true. You cannot live a life patterned consistently after sin with no grief and no repentance and say you know God because it's a lie. And so they had some some of the false teachers had come in and said the way we live has no impact on our relationship to God. And he combats that. And then he also combats the fact that he, th- that we think he combats the fact that these people were proud and they were loveless. So they didn't love the brothers. They didn't love people. But they claimed to love God. So that's point, that, that's kind of purpose one. Overarching purpose one, watch out for these false teachers. Purpose two, in the midst of false teaching, there's doubt, there's confusion. What are we going to do? And so John writes as his second overarching purpose, I want you to know. Did you hear that throughout the book? I want you to know, you can know, you can know, you can know. And then he ends it, you can know that you have eternal life. And so he wrote his book to combat false teaching and to provide believers an assurance in the face of doubt of their salvation. And so that's the main point. You can be sure your salvation is genuine. You can be sure your salvation is genuine. If you read through our reading plan a couple months ago, we read through John. And John's key word was believe. 
And so if you read it again, check that out. Believe in faith. Believe in faith. And you'll see it scattered all over the book. And he wrote his book in chapter 20 of John, verse 31. He wrote his book that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And in believing, you may have life in his name. He wrote his gospel for faith. But then he wrote his letter for assurance. You can know, you can know, you can know. And in the end, you may know. Believing in the Son, you may know that you have this eternal life. So the faith he is seeking for in the gospel, uh, through his gospel, becomes the assurance he wants to lock down in your hearts through his letter. And so I'll just tell you in advance and hopefully set you at ease. It is very, very normal for Christians to have a long or a season of wrestling with their assurance of salvation. Right? It's not abnormal if you're in that time period right now, if you're like, do I really believe? Am I really saved? It's not abnormal at all. In fact, I think it's a little bit abnormal if you've never had a season where you had to wrestle with your assurance of salvation. And so don't think you're weird and don't think you're different and don't think it must mean I'm lost if you're in a season where you're wrestling with assurance of salvation. It's a very normal thing. And so what I would encourage you, encourage you is wrestle through that. Wrestle to the other side of it. And if you are not saved, let the Spirit come in and show you the gospel and believe. But wrestle through it and you may come to this at the end of the process of wrestling. Like, okay, I know. I know. I had a period, and I remember mine, it was four to six months where I wrestled with my assurance of salvation. Uh, fairly early on. And so I would talk to my pastors, and I just and I got good answers. It was truth, but I just I still wrestled. Am I really a believer? Am I really a believer? Is it really true? And then I'd go talk to my Sunday school teacher. Is it really true? Is it true? And they'd give me good answers. And I'd pray, God, is it true? And I, it, was, for, it was maybe six-month period. But at the end of it, just remember the sweet testimony of the Holy Spirit, your mind. Right, And so what John is going to do is try to help you wrestle through that question well and that doubt well and come out on the other side, lock down solid knowing that you have the eternal life that he's given through his son. And that's, that's one of my goals and my hopes for you over the course of this study is it will be locked down in your heart by the time the series has ended. And so a couple of things. Here's the equation. If you're in your righteousness and your humble confession of sin... If you're growing in your love for other people, the way God defines it, your love for other people, and the testimony of the Holy Spirit is the third part. The, the Holy Spirit is within you testifying. He's, he's adopted you, and by the spirit of adoption, we cry out, Abba, Father. And so I'm growing in my righteousness. I'm growing in my confession of sin. I'm growing in my love, and the Spirit is inside of me, bearing witness. It ultimately leads up with Rock, solid, total assurance of salvation. And that's the goal. So that's what we're going to be studying throughout the book of John. A couple of points here. First, God is light, so walk in God-given righteousness. God is light, so walk in God-given righteousness. I hope you've never had this experience, but I've worked in restaurants, so I have. You walk into this dark room, and you flick on the light, and I won't tell you what restaurants they are. You know what's there. Roaches. And as soon as the light goes on, they scatter everywhere. When God flips the light of the gospel on in your heart, the roaches of sin scatter. They begin to run from that light and run from that gospel. The gospel dispels sin. It gets rid of sin. 
Yeah, and some die slower and some are a little harder and some don't run out quite as fast. But the gospel, when the light goes on, begins to throw sin out of your life. The roach has been running. And so God is light and his gospel is the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus. It's the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And so the gospel is this light that begins to dispel sin. And so since God is light, the way we know him is that light is increasingly part of our life. Righteousness And so let's look at that. The big framing question we have to ask, right, is what does light mean? Because that's an image, right? And so through the book of, or I'm sorry, through the gospel of John, it's it's, um, light and darkness, life and death. Those are key words. And through the book of 1 John, you heard the same thing, right? Light, light, darkness, life, death. And so for your point, I made it pretty simple. God is light, so live in righteousness, Right, And so there is a moral righteousness component that comes to following Jesus. And if we don't have some of that, if we don't have growth in that, if we don't change, there's a huge problem to our testimony that we really believed in Jesus. There's a huge problem. And assurance will be hard to come by as you wrestle through that. But I don't think that's entirely what it means. Uh, so what I think light means as opposed to darkness is it means life. It means eternal life, real life, full life. And a part of real life and a part of eternal life and a part of full life is righteous living. It's a quality, a sphere of life we walk around in. And here's how I kind of get that. So if you're reading through the book of John, I'm trying to keep these straight in my brain. Chapter 1, verse 4 talks about, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And so we've got Jesus is life. Jesus is light. That makes alive. And so when we see God is light in the book of 1 John, what we are seeing is God is the source of all that is true life. And so life looks like God. And so life looks like God in how we behave and how we live. Life looks like God in how we humbly confess our sins and we humbly repent of our sins. Life looks like God in the way we love people. And so this circle called life is what God is and he's the source of it. And I'm not waiting on a future eternal life. That's done. I'm living life right now. This is eternal life that you know God and his son whom he sent Jesus. So I live an eternal life the moment I am saved. A whole new quality of existence. And that quality of existence deals with the way I deal with sin, humbly and repentance. It deals with how I grow in righteousness and it deals with how I love people. God is light. And so I live like I'm light. I live like I'm alive to God. And I live like it looks like God. And so in the book, what you see is he makes this universal theological principle. God's light. God is life. He is the source of it. He's the definition of what is really life. And then he brings it down to a claim. If we say we have this life and walk in darkness, that is death and the ways of death. John's not one to pull punches. You're a liar. So what he says, you're a liar. God is light. He's life. And we're going to test if he's in you or not by is there light in your life in your living. And so if one person says, I am, and he lives in death, he lives in darkness, it's simply not true. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, chapter 1 tells us, then we abide in him and his blood cleanses us from all our sins. Right? And so the claim is tested. I'm in him. I live like I don't know who he is. It's not true. I live like I know who he is. It's true. And about this time, you should be scared. 
right? If you haven't fallen asleep yet, you should be scared. Like, oh man, I've got to live in light. I've got to live righteous or I'm not saved. That would be scary, except for all of chapter one exists, not just a verse of it. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. Meaning living in the light doesn't mean I'm sinlessly perfect. It doesn't mean I don't blow it all the time. It doesn't mean I don't get angry with my kids sometimes. It doesn't mean that I don't squabble with my wife sometimes. It doesn't mean that I don't have uh, harsh thoughts towards other people. Because if I were to say, I'm fine, I don't sin, I would be lying. But what does it mean if we sin or if we confess our sins? He is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So life in the light, life in salvation, life in righteousness is not sinless. It's humbly repentant. And you can know. You can know if you live in light. And so he puts this big principle. Here's who God is. And here's what he's done in the gospel. And now here's how you live in light of that. So you see that? God is love. Here's what he's done in the gospel. Cleansed you from all your sins. Now here's how you live. Righteously. You live like life is alive to you. Real life. Eternal life. Full life. God life is inside of you. And if you live in that growing, and if you live in that confessing, You'll have increasing assurance inside your own life, inside your own heart. And so if you're changed and you're being changed, you can be certain, you can be confident of the gospel. The second thing, God is love, so live in grace-infused love. God is love, so live in grace-infused love. So let me define love, because that could be a problem, right? Because the way the culture defines love is this. You've got to agree with everything I do and accept everything I do and don't try to change me at all. Apply that to your kids. Is it loving to let them be those sinful, little, depraved angels that they are? Right? That's not loving. Is it loving of your teacher not to teach you anything? I don't want to change you. I don't want you to actually grow in knowing anything. So we have defined as a culture, love is acceptance. Love is not necessarily just acceptance. That's not the definition. And so we can really blow it if we say, oh, God's love. Let me just love people. Let me just accept people. And if I just love them and accept them, I must be saved. In the book of John, he says, or I'm sorry, in First in John, he says, and I hope you heard it. You may not have picked up on it. The first reading, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. How do I know I love God? I obey him. It's not I obey him as a duty, but man, I love God so much I want to be like God, and I love him so much I want to be like him, and if I want to be like him, I keep his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome. They're given for my good. They're given for me to flourish. They're given for the world around me to flourish. They're given for my family to flourish. They're given for my friends to flourish. I live in obedience because I love God. And that's the test. And so here's a quick definition. Love is treasuring people To a point that it leads you to willingly sacrifice for their good without needing anything in return. It is to treasure, it is to value another person in such a way that it leads you to sacrifice yourself for the good of that person without needing anything in return for it. I don't need to be paid back for true love. God does not need to be paid back for true love. And what is true love? Not that we loved him. But that he loved us and he sent his son for us. That's love. There is no payback for that. Like there's nothing you can do to pay him back. And if you try, you're getting off the path. 
True love doesn't require repayment. True love doesn't hold strings. It just holds hearts. And so that's love, that we keep his commandments. One of the tests he puts in the book is if we say we love him, but we hate our brother, like if we, if we hate our brother whom we have seen, how can we love God who we haven't seen? This is what he's doing. There is a connection between loving God and loving God's people. And the genuineness of your love for God is not tested by how loud you sing. It is tested by how well you love other people. How well do you love the believers? Not just the ones that are your friends, not just the ones that are your families, not just the ones that are like you, not the ones that look like you. How well do you love God's people? That's the test of how well do you love God. And so I can't say I love God while hating the people around me that are made in his image. If I love God truly, I will love the ones that have been born of him. And there's no way around that. That's the test. And so it's not to love in word. Oh yeah, I love you guys. See you next week. Don't just love in word. Love in your actions and in truth and in sincerity. Right? Don't just love in word. Love in deed. Love in truth. And that's the test. And John's going to apply this kind of Jesus love to us and say, if you see love flourishing in your life, if you see the seeds of love for other people that you wouldn't love otherwise growing up in your life, if you see sacrifice and service and love and listening and care and speaking when you'd rather be quiet and being quiet when you'd rather speak, if you see that stuff growing in your life, if you see care for other people and serving other people growing in your life, you'll see assurance blooming and blossoming in your life. And it's locked down certain because you see it. Because you see it. Real quickly, John's four purposes for our Christian life. These are the four statements God ma- uh, John makes. It's God too because it's his Bible. Four statements he makes very quickly because we're going to cover them in depth as we go through them. This is what John wants to happen. Because you're sure of your salvation and you're in fellowship with God, these are the four things he wants to see flourish in your life. First, he wants you to mature in genuine joy. Okay, so if you are in fellowship, right, verse 3, if you're in fellowship with other believers and God and in his Son, I write these that your joy may be complete. So if you know the God in whose presence is the fullness of joy, if you know the God, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. If you know the God who says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, if you know that God, then you'll grow in joy. And it won't be that shifting joy that we have, like, oh, I just bought something new, woohoo, until it gets old or dented or dinged. It won't be the joy of, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, a six-point buck. It won't, be, it won't be that joy that, man, that was great, Till the next one. It won't be the joy of a 12-pound bass. It won't be the joy of a shopping trip. It won't be the joy of kids, and it won't be the joy of spouse, because that stuff is up and down, isn't it? And your whole life gets thrown up when everything's good, and it gets thrown down when everything's bad, and it just wrecks you. That's not the joy of God. The joy he wants you to abide in is this perfect, complete joy of being in his presence and putting everything in perspective underneath him. He wants you to mature in genuine joy. And I hope as you leave this series, you'll have a deeper, more stable joy in God. Second thing, increasingly overcome sin. Chapter 2, verse 1. I write these things that you may not sin. He wants you to be stunned with the beauty of Christ because it's a sin-killing beauty. And if you'll see the beauty of Christ, sin will be so much less attractive. If you'll see the beauty of Christ, sin will be seen as a deadly skeleton. If you see the beauty of Christ, you can't stand sin. You hate it. You despise it. You war with it in your heart because it blinds you to Jesus' beauty. 
It's a lesser beauty and it doesn't satisfy and it never can. And so John wants you to fight to overcome sin because fighting sin leads to joy. Fighting sin leads to life. And so he wants you to fight sin, to overcome sin. And the only way that you're ever going to break the sins of your lust and your anger and your pride and your fear and your worry and your anxiety and whatever else it is, the only way you're going to kill that sin is a compelling vision of the beauty of Jesus in his gospel. But when you get a, beauty, a, a, a compelling picture of the glory of Jesus in his beauty, when you get that, sin will be destroyed in your life. And as John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Killing sin is a means of life. Not fighting sin is a means of death. Real life comes as we walk with him and follow him. The third one, be protected from false teachers. John's writing to a group of churches, an area of churches, where there's an itinerant false teacher, probably a preacher who is just going from church to church to spread this false view of Jesus. And a wrong view of Jesus always leads to wrong views of living and, and loving and all these other things. But a clear view of Jesus, a right view of Jesus, corrects our views of everything else. And so he's writing, be protected from false teachers. Chapter 2, verse 26, do not be deceived. I'm writing about those who want to deceive you. Last one. It's the one we've been talking about so we don't have to go in as much. Be assured of your eternal life. That's his overall purpose. He wants you to know that you know that you know that you know that you have eternal life living inside of you. That you are saved. And he does not want you to leave the writing and the reading and the studying of this book without that locked down, rock solid assurance that you can live the rest of your life on. Because without assurance, relationship always struggles. Without assurance, fellowship always struggles. And so my question for you is this. Do you know Jesus? Have you seen Jesus and his gospel. Have you seen your sin and how it separates you from God? Have you seen the holiness of God that shows you your separation from him? And have you seen that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, was buried, and he rose again from the dead? And have you believed on his name? Not have you joined a church, not have you attended Christian services, not are you part of a Christian group. Have you seen and believed in Jesus in a way that has changed you? And in a way that keeps changing you. Because John, and because God, and because the Holy Spirit, and because Jesus, and because this church does not want you to walk out of reading and studying and hearing his book without knowing and without believing. There's a couple of practical things that I'll let you read over. Are you committed to love-driven obedience? Not simply obeying because it's the right thing to do, and not simply not obeying because it doesn't matter Love for God that drives obedience. Are you committed to that? Are you committed to demonstrating practical love in the areas of your life? Your friends, your spouse, everyone else in the church, people that are different from you? Are you committed to loving God's people in practical, sacrificial ways? Are you fighting for joy in God? I'll leave you with those questions. Let's pray, and we'll give an opportunity to respond. So, Father... In this moment, I pray for those who think, but they don't know. I pray for the clarity of the Holy Spirit to either cry out within them, you are adopted, and let them cry out, Abba, Father. 
Or I pray for them to know that they do not know you. To know that they have not believed in you. And you would give them the opportunity to believe. To believe this gospel that saves. Father, I pray for a clarity of mind and a clarity of heart in this moment for everyone in this room. God, I pray throughout this series that you would lock down and and set in concrete our assurance because you don't desire us to live not knowing. You desire us to live in a relationship you founded on the knowing that Jesus has redeemed us and that nothing can shake us. I pray that you'd work in our lives this for our joy, for your glory, for the death of sin and the life of righteousness within us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.